Hey guys, Joe Wolverton, teacher of liberty. I am back in the place to be. I am excited today. And y'all are saying you say that every dang time because I am excited every dang time because I know, I know this stuff doesn't get taught. And I know that this is the only place to get these lessons. I know the value of these lessons, right? And so just literally every time I record one of these podcasts, I get stoked out of my mind. I'm like... It's fun, you know, it'll be like, are you excited about recording, you know, tomorrow's podcast? I'm like, are you crazy? I, I, I literally get so fired up, y'all. I, I, like I tell you, though, there's one thing, there's one thing that I would change. There's one thing that would change. If, because if I had a billion dollars, I would still do this. Do you understand? I would still do this if I had a billion dollars in the bank. I would still do this. I'd be doing it from my private island in the Bahamas or from my chalet at about 13,000 feet in the Swiss Alps, but I'd still be doing it. But the one thing I would change is I just want to have a dialogue. I, the thing that I love about teaching is being able to see that person's eyes go, whoa, or to see that person go, Hmm. I just love that feeling because as I've told you, you know, that's my purpose on earth is to teach. And I, and so that I love doing this, but I want y'all to get back. So comment, comment, comment on stuff. Even if it's like, just thanks, Joey, or that was weird or whatever, just comment for me. Okay. All right. But we got to get going because today's story, now you're going to notice off the top, there's no commonplace book quote. That's not because there's not a commonplace book quote. That's because in this story, there are about a billion commonplace book quotes, quotations, and y'all can choose which one you want. Put in the comments, say, oh, you know, choose the one of all these things that I tell you in these stories. Choose the quotation that you want to put in your commonplace book. And what you, you know, what you, you don't have to tell me what you write. But if you, if you don't mind, I would like to know just so we can develop a relationship, you know, some kind of back and forth. And so anyway, choose the one that you like out of all these. Let me know. And then in the comments, share this around, man. We got to we gotta get this stuff. We got to get little brush fires of liberty. We got to get them lit. It's about time that we get these fires lit. Okay, today's story, Sparta. This is Sparta. All right, we're going to talk about Sparta. All y'all right now, just relax. Just right now, sit back. Maybe put your feet up. I don't know. You, you know, it's your it's your world. I'm just living in it. I'm just a squirrel, you know, living in your world. So maybe you put your feet up. I don't know what you do. Maybe you have a drink. You know, uh, non-alcoholic for you weirdos. Maybe you're maybe you're you know, got a good cigar. You don't light it. It's just for the look. Shout out to Will Smith. Uh, but I want you, Sparta, just come and listen to my story. It's about a man named Jed. He was a, a poor mountaineer and barely kept his family fed. And then one day, he was shooting at some food, 
But up through the ground came bubbling crude. Oil, black gold, Texas tea. Well, first thing you know, old Jed, he's a millionaire. And his kinfolk said, Jed, you better move away from there. They said, California is the place you ought to be. So he loaded up the truck and he moved to Beverly Hills, that is. Swimming pools, movie stars. No, we're not talking about that at all. We are talking about Sparta. And I'm going to tell you a story about a man named Lycurgus. Lycurgus. Wise man. Sort of the king's right-hand man. The king. Now, Sparta wasn't the Sparta that it becomes. Sparta was a different place. Sparta was a place more, much less Spartan. You know, the rich were rich. The poor were poor. Wealth and luxury meant something to them. It started to weigh on the king. And the king chooses this guy, Lycurgus, famous for his wisdom and his virtue and everything. And he says, Lycurgus, I need you to do me a solid. I want, we need to write down a constitution for Sparta, right? We're, we're kind of freestyling it here. And it's been fine for a while, but we need, to, we need to write it down. And I want you to be the man to write it. Now, you can see instantly why our founding fathers will be drawn to this guy. Because they're like, oh, we're, we're doing that same thing, right? And they're like, like Kyrgyz. So you read, the, you read the papers and letters and everything of our founding fathers. Like Kyrgyz's name comes up a lot. But he deserves to come up a lot. Because, all right. So, like, Kyrgyz gets the job of drawing up a constitution for Sparta. All right? The king's like, you got all the power you need. Do your thing. Let me know how I can help you and all of this. Now, we get the story of, like, Kyrgyz and the Spartan constitution mainly in two places, guys. Mainly in two places. That's my man Polybius. This is his book, The Histories. If you can imagine, just sitting around, he's like, you know, I don't know what, I got the grass cut, I got all my honeydews done, what can I do? Oh, I'm going to write the history of the world, duh. So, Polybius, the histories, this is the Oxford edition, uh, this is not one that I use, I have this one, you know, it's like how it is, you get, so we get the story of Lycurgus and the Spartan Constitution. Joey, quit telling everything about everything. I know, I'm trying. Polybius. We get our second, you know, main contribution about Lycurgus and the Spartan Constitution from a man, Plutarch. Now, this is the Plutarch that I use. It's, it's toe up. It's toe up. But I, I have other copies of this too, but I ain't finna use it because, I don't know. This one, uh, it's just, it's been one of the, it was one of the originals that I got as I started learning about these people, and I just couldn't, I don't think I could give it up. I'm going to have to, I literally put on my list for today of things to do, fix the jacked up, because you see there, my boy's, my boy's cover is jacked up. So, help a poor brother buy some new books. No, don't help me buy any new books. I don't need help. Well, I mean, you know, everybody needs help, but I don't need help fixing it. I'm going to fix it, right? All right, so like Kyrgyz, Polybius, Plutarch. Polybius the Histories, Plutarch writes the biography of Lycurgus. 
It's one of the first, right? So, now, Polybius tells us that Lycurgus, when he was given the job to create a new government, a new constitution, he is the first one, I mean, as far as we know, that is correct, who created a balanced or mixed government, right? And this is our founding fathers. By the time they come along, it's like, Everybody talking about how you need a mixed government. You can't just have a monarchy. You can't just have an oligarchy. You can't just have a democracy. You need to mix things up and have checks and balances. That's the phrase that we all were taught in school, checks and balances. We, you know, the, the king checks the Senate. The Senate checks the king. The people check both of them, all of that kind of stuff. And they balance so that there's never any disorder. One guy never gets his way. The idea is, like Kyrgyz thought, this way, we're never going to deal with a tyrant, right? Because Spartans ain't going to let no tyrant run their country, right? They're, they're not going to sit here and be like, oh, yeah, that's cool. Why don't you just do whatever you want? Not in Sparta. All right, so now... This is the thing you need to know about Lycurgus. And this is what we're going to come right here with you with the first of your commonplace book options. All right. Now, the first commonplace book option is right now. Prepare to write down in your commonplace books with a number, using a number two pencil. Now, I'm just teasing. That's, that's my good morning. I don't know. Is that my radio? Maybe that's my radio or my audio book voice. But what you got to know about Lycurgus, and this is what Plutarch writes about him, and this is why he was chosen. It wasn't like the king was like, eeny, meeny, miny, moe, right? He chose Lycurgus, and Plutarch says, there were more who obeyed him because of his eminent virtues than because he had royal power in his hands. Guys, the founders loved that thought that and if you read in the federalist papers for example or go read one of my articles about the presidency but read it in the federalist first you see that when alexander hamilton describes what they imagined what they designed the constitution what kind of leader it was this that people would look to him as a natural leader because of his virtue, not because of the power that he held or the office that he held, right? But I would ask you, so that's, there were more who obeyed him because of his eminent virtues than because he had royal power in his hands. Now, I would ask you, do you think, and be honest with yourselves, do you think we value virtue in our leaders? Is that is that the thing we want most, virtue? Because as you know, there is no liberty without virtue. That the, one of the first things the tyrants want to do is discourage virtue. So do you think, like when you go vote, do you think to yourself, okay, who's the most, you know, the most virtuous of all the people running? Who's the most virtuous? All right. So. How did Lycurgus, but that's, just think about it. Things that make you go, hmm. Lycurgus, the people, listen to him. 
because of how good he was, not because of that he was the king's right-hand man. No. All right, so how did he go about doing it? How did he go about writing this constitution for Sparta? So what he decided to do is he decided to go to all the countries, all the city-states, all the nations, all the places in his area of the world, you know, the known world to him, and he was going to observe their constitution, study their and take all the best bits from all the constitutions and put them together and make Sparta's constitution composed of all the best elements of all the constitutions, good constitutions in the world. So take all the good ones, boil them down till, you know, just the best stuff was floating on the top, take that best stuff, make it into the Spartan constitution, right? Maybe spread it on some bread, I don't know. But make that stuff that boiled, you know, that, the heavy stuff, use that, or that's the light stuff, use that to make the Spartan constitution, all right? Now, Plutarch describes this, and this is so weird. So I want, long time ago, I, I mean, we're talking a couple of decades ago, before I'd actually read Plutarch, I had described the Founding Fathers as like coroners, and I might even have done it in this podcast, who are like coroners and they're examining the, the lifeless bodies of the self-governing societies of the past so they could discover what killed those self-governing societies and so they could prevent that, you know, prevent the United States from contracting that same fatal disease. Well, Plutarch says that same thing about Lycurgus, that that's what he was doing. And it just blows my mind. Okay. I mean, obviously it's cool that there was this idea in my head of what the Founding Fathers were doing. And then I read Plutarch and I'm like, Plutarch, copycat. I'm, I was going to sue him. I, you know, I don't know. I, I hear he's rich. So I'm like, I should probably sue him for plagiarism. And then someone told me that he'd been dead for like 2,000 years. And I was like, uh, does he have descendants? Are they well? No. So, Lycurgus, okay, in his, settle back, listen to this story. Lycurgus goes to this place, and the king, the ruler, is a guy named Thales of Crete. Now, for those of you who are going to the Google machine, Thales of Crete is, by some ancient writers, referred to as Thaletas of Gorton. Okay, so it's spelled Thales, T-H-L-T-H-A-L-E-S, of Crete, Thales, or Thaletas of Gorton. Either way, he goes there. Lycurgus is walking around his, you know, he lands on his boat. He's walking around the place, and he sees that everybody's like, nice, what's up? The streets are clean. There's, doesn't seem to be any like, you know, vulgarity, nothing profane, nothing like that you would expect. And he's just walking around and, and he's like, what is, why is everybody nice? Why is this place so clean? Why are they seem to be so polite, so well behaved? What is the deal? So he tries to get an audience with Thales. Meantime, he's walking around and he's like, I don't, I just don't see any evidence of like crime or vulgarity or 
rudeness. He's like, something is going on here. He finally gets an interview. And he's like, all right, your kingness, what you must have. You got to tell me, king, your, your kingness. You must tell me. He's like, you must have the strictest laws with the most severe punishments to keep these people in line like this. He's like, you got to tell me, what do you do? Like, what are your laws and what are your punishments for breaking them that keep people in line like this? And Tali said, what are you talking about? He's like, I've been walking around your place and everybody's nice and the streets are clean and I don't, like, see advertisements for, you know, immorality. I don't hear people reciting poetry that is crude. He's like, I, I, what is the dealio of life on Crete? And Thales said, um, yeah, I don't, we don't have strict laws and we don't have severe punishment. So... And Lycurgus is like, then what's going on? And Tale says, I surround my people with virtue. I, the songs that we sing promote virtue. The plays that we watch promote virtue. The poetry that we read promotes virtue. Everything, he said, is devoted to promoting virtue. And he said, over time, my people became, and this is the phrase Plutarch uses, insensibly softened to virtue. In insensibly softened, meaning without even knowing it, without even knowing it, they became virtuous, without insensibly softened, because of what they looked at, what they listened to, right? Because of their entertainment, they became insensibly softened. You surround them with virtue, he said, and it will sink in. Like the marinate, right? You marinate your people in virtue. And the longer you marinate them in virtue, the deeper it sinks in. And they become insensibly softened without even knowing it. They start becoming more virtuous. Now, the question, of course, for all of us is what are we insensibly becoming insensibly softened to? What are we putting in our eyes and our ears? What are we surrounding ourselves with? What images, what words, right? The songs, the videos, the books, the, the whatever. What are we marinating in? Because whatever it is, we're becoming insensibly softened to that thing. So if it's virtue, we will become more and more virtuous the longer we marinate in the virtue. But if it's other things, you'll find 
that you're becoming insensibly softened to those other not so virtuous things. I can tell you a story. My dad, my dad did not swear at home. I mean, if he hit his, you know, thumb while he was nailing something, he might come off like anybody in the world would with, you know, with a little something, but he wasn't a guy who swore, uh, used profanity. So, but now the guys at his work, not so much. So one day we're all, it's a weekend, we're at home. I don't know what, I can't remember exactly what happened, but my dad said, you know, a cuss word. And my mom was like, excuse me? And he was like, oh my gosh. And even my dad recognized it. He was like, why would I? That's weird. And my mom is like, it isn't weird. You hang out with people that say stuff like that and worse all the time. It's And what phrase? It's rubbing off on you. Right? It will rub off on you guys. If you are constantly surrounding yourself, if you're constantly watching silliness, if you're constantly looking at images that you shouldn't, if you're constantly reading things that don't promote virtue, you cannot marinate yourself in silliness and wickedness and vice and think it doesn't seep in. It does. And the longer you the longer you marinate in it, the deeper it seeps in. And that's what Tales told Lycurgus. I surround them with virtue and they become insensibly softened to virtue. So I don't have to govern them, they govern themselves. Right? That famous saying, I, I teach them correct principles and they govern themselves. Take care, right? That's what he's telling Lycurgus for his, you know, because Lycurgus explained to him, I'm making a, a new government, new constitution for Sparta. Just surround the people with virtue. So Lycurgus even ends up inviting Thales to come to Sparta. Because Thales, a weird thing about him, he was like a, a, a musician. He would write songs, and he would just roam the streets of Crete. And do You know, bleh, I don't know what you played back then, a liar. Bleh, I don't know how you play a liar whatever you do my man would play it and he would sing virtue is cool and being vicious is awful everybody be nice to each other I don't know I don't know I don't know what he sang I don't have any of his records they're hard to get a hold of but insensibly softened so he goes finds out Note to sell. He writes in his little list, right? Surround the people with virtue and they will be virtuous. You remember Richard Price? Show them that they are men and they will act like men. If you're going to be surrounded with virtue, you will, it will sink in. If you're going to spend your time looking at, listening to, participating in, marinating in not such good stuff, that's what's going to sink in. Now, he traveled around, he traveled around. The Spartans actually send a guy out. Will you go find Lycurgus? This man been missing a long time. Go find him. So they, they go, they try to find Lycurgus. And they sent him a note, according to Plutarch. They sent the Spartan, the citizens of Sparta, missed 
like Kyrgyz's influence so much. They sent him a note that said, For kings indeed we have who wear the marks and assume the titles of royalty. But as for the qualities of their minds, they have nothing by which they are to be distinguished from their subjects. We got plenty of kings who wear robes and crowns and jewels and things. Ain't no problem knowing who's, yep, that guy's the king right there. That's why crowns were invented, right, honestly? So that you could, oh, that guy's got a funny hat. Some, he's, something's up with him. Yes, yeah, I'm better than you. My, I wear a big hat. I'm not kidding. That's why crowns were invented, right? And it's much the same, right? So they wrote him a note saying, we, we, can, we have kings. We, we know the deal. But it's, we, they're usually, when it comes to the quality of their minds, no better than us. We like being, we like having our government be composed of virtuous and wise people. Kings we have plenty who wear the marks of royalty. But when it comes to their minds, they're no better than their subjects. Giving us a clue again. You want virtuous, you know, rulers, so to speak, virtuous governors? You want wise governors? Virtuous and wise? Are those two of the things we look for in our leaders today? Now, he gets the note. He's like, oh, my people miss me. Mm -hmm. So he gets in his boat. He heads back to Sparta. Now, I'm giving you the short version because we got a lot to talk about. Lycurgus is worth the time, y'all. Worth the time. Get to know Lycurgus. So he gets on the boat, goes back to Sparta. But I want to tell you, like, through Polybius and Plutarch, I want to tell you some of the steps that he went through in order to change the Spartan constitution because I think it's instructive to us to change our personal constitution. Now, you know that word constitution. It can mean, you know, the way a government is established, a guideline for establishing a government, but it can also mean your, your health, you know, your personal, you know, inner strength, not inner strength, but your, your bodily, your physical strength, your physical health. It's sometimes called your constitution. He had a weak constitution. They used to say that about James Madison, right? He had a weak constitution, meaning he wasn't very healthy a lot, right? So these are the steps that Lycurgus used in order to improve the constitution, the government constitution of Sparta, but see if we can't use these to improve our own. First thing he did is he studied other constitutions, you know, See constitutions that you like, that you think, I want to be like that. Study. Study how they got like that. How, if you want to be a certain, you know, improve your health, study healthy people. How do they get there? What are their habits? Do that. Lycurgus went and he prayed to the gods for guidance. Pray for, if you're a praying person, pray for guidance. Pray for help in strengthening whatever that weakness is in you. Pray for help in doing that. He recruited the leading men, it says, to help him. Look for mentors. Look for wise counselors. Go to people who have success and make them your mentor, your, your, 
uh, I don't want to say leader, your counselor, right? Go do that. Go find people and say, you're doing what I want to do. Can you help me? Or see people who've overcome what you're trying to overcome. And how did you overcome this? Next thing he did, he fired up his followers. When he got back and he was showing people, the, you know, telling people what he was going to put in the Constitution, what it was going to be, he told them, guys, this is going to fire. So let your friends know. Let your friends be your supporters, right? Get, get your friends to be your hype man, to keep you building. Man, you're doing so great, man. You're, I noticed you used to, you know, swear all the time. You, I hardly ever hear you say a swear word now right? Whatever it is, you know in your personal constitution what needs to be improved. Do those things, right? Right? Choose from the people who have that who have that constitution. Choose wise men to counsel you. Get your friends to hype you up. Uh, reach out to people who are have the same struggles and are wanting to overcome that y'all can work together, right? Reach out to them because like Kyrgyz reached out to other people in Sparta and said, I know that you have expressed an interest in, you know, writing down the constitution and all this. What ideas do y'all have? Work together on doing that. That's a big deal. So those are some steps, I think. Like Kyrgyz did that when he wanted to improve the constitution of Sparta. We can do that to improve our own constitution, right? Follow those steps that I just laid out. Pause it, do whatever. Write them down because I can tell you these are things that you would pay Tony Robbins thousands of dollars to tell you. Study other constitutions. Pray for help and guidance. You know, look for good, wise counselors. Fire up your followers. Get them to fire you up. Reach out to people who are similarly trying to overcome this and y'all work together. All of that, right? All of that is the same kind of stuff you'll get in self-help books. But you can get it from Polybius and Plutarch and Lycurgus for free. All right. I guess technically you're getting it from me, but I would hope you'd go read these stories in Polybius and Plutarch. One thing that you need to know, when Lycurgus got home and he told the people, look, I can, I can sum up what we're fixing to do in one word, and that word is simplify. He didn't want there to be because he noticed around the world that these most virtuous places, these places with the best governments, the smoothest running governments, the, the best people, they, were, they did not have lives devoted to amassing wealth and possessing things. So when he got back, he's like, we need to dial the leisure and luxury way down right so that of course in every part of society he literally in this constitution and we're going to go over some of it he literally in this constitution is like i want to simplify everything i want to get us right down to where we do everything with an eye toward being good being unified being virtuous being wise, being strong, and luxury and ease, that stuff ain't how you get there. Now, he included this, even in the thing where, so he created a Senate. We won't even get into that. doesn't even matter. But he created a Senate, 
And by the way, Senate, now he didn't call it that, but the Senate is what ends up being called in history as well as in Rome. Senate is from the Latin word meaning old man. So it's also the root of the word senile. Mm-hmm. I see what you did there, language. I like it. I like, I like how you did that. That's funny. Senate, senile, I get you. So he created the Senate. Now, of course, they're going to think, ooh, I'm a senator. I'm going to get an office and a big desk and a big marble palace to sit in. No. He's like, I don't really want you even meeting inside. Kind of want you to sit around outside. But I can understand why you'd want a building, but we're going to make it just a stone, plain stone building with no windows and stone benches. And I don't want any, as he called it, ornaments. I don't want any paintings or any statues in there. I want this as plain as plain can be, even for these senators. And he said, because, and he explains, if y'all are sitting in there in some kind of really fancy office in a fancy building, right, with paintings and statues and murals and all the things, he's like, those things are going to even subconsciously distract you from what you ought to be doing. From your, as he called it, your constitutional duties. You will be distracted and that will be a disadvantage to us because you will become insensibly softened. The love of those things, the love of the perks that come with office will make people want to be a senator. And he's like, "Mm -mm, no, Senate's not above you. Y'all aren't above people. Right? Yes, we're hopeful that the wise and virtuous are voted for. And so since you're wise and virtuous, no. We're just going to have a simple stone building, stone benches, no windows, no pictures, no anything. Now, my thought is this. Maybe if we did that, instead of having these giant marble palaces with giant, you know, offices and big desks and paintings and statues and everything all over Washington, D.C. If we maybe went the Lycurgus way, maybe we wouldn't have people wanting to be in office for 50 years. I'm just saying, there's a little bit of wisdom to be taken from my man Lycurgus when it comes to, let's keep everything simple. Because any of you been to D.C., you know the deal. You go in the Capitol building, and it's like, oh, my goodness. Everywhere, a painting and a statue and marble and just huge and pillars and whatnot. You go in someone's office, a giant, you know, mahogany desk. Rich mahogany, many leather-bound books. You know what I'm saying. But maybe if we like Kyrgyz that business... Yes, I just made his name a verb. If we like Kyrgyz that business, maybe we wouldn't have the same kind of people in office. And you would say, but Joey, those people are elected to that office. Yeah, but maybe they wouldn't run if they knew that they're going to be sitting in a stone building with plain walls, no windows, and stone benches. 
like maybe they'd be like you know what let's get the business done and get out because my home is much nicer all right i'm just saying let's like kurgis some business besides changing the constitution and the money system because he also he made it basically illegal to use money in sparta if you wanted something you bartered for that thing he did not want spartans to become like all the other people in the world that judged each other based on how many gold circles they could stack up i have this many gold circles and i'm better than you right well i only have this many and i'm sad like Kyrgyz is like no we're not having that so basically money was outlawed but and so the idea was you're just going to trade with each other what you and that'll keep you focused on what you need not like oh i'm going to buy this so i can flip it and have more gold coins than that guy he's like no this encourages you to simply you simplify your life this will keep us more equal more unified okay he also did this thing that a lot of people thought was wacky. And I'm going to admit, I don't know. I like well, I like the idea. The practice of it in Sparta was fine for the most part. But I think the rest of us would be like, mm. he started communal supper. So no longer did each family just eat in their house and do whatever. They all got together and ate at like what? basically picnic tables in town they would all come together all the families of sparta we're gonna all eat together like a big potluck we're gonna eat together and the idea was it was a way for everybody to get to know each other kids would make friends that would last a lifetime that would inspire unity and camaraderie and it would be lifelong friendships you're sitting there you can find out oh that guy over there yeah he's a blacksmith and you're you know 12 year old boy you want to be a blacksmith it's like well why don't you go talk to him see you know you go over and you sit with him you're like hey what, what do you gotta do to be a blacksmith you know that kind of stuff right it encouraged unity in the immortal words of her highness queen latifah u-n-i-t-y that spells unity i know y'all kids are like queen who Beyonce is the queen. Don't even. Latifah is the queen, y'all. So these communal suppers bring everybody together. We're gonna sit around. We're gonna we're gonna have simple food. That was his deal too. He's like, we're gonna sit around. The idea is to get to know each other, to talk. The idea isn't that we're gonna be insulated in our own families and eat and never see each other. He's like. If we're going to build strength, if we're going to want to really fight to protect each other when people attack, if we're really going to want to stay and make ourselves strong and unified and be one people, we got to get to know each other. And he said, the way it is now, we're not spending enough time doing that. And so he's like building some picnic tables. Everybody going to come and have dinner together. Bring your food make it simple we want everybody to have, and we just want everybody to get to know each other so that you feel this the love for your neighbor guys i don't know my neighbor's last name i'm not lying to you i don't know his last name okay that it's not right 
I don't think if I asked him to go out in the yard and have dinner, he'd probably be like, I've got a thing I got to do. But you get what I'm saying? Like, Kyrgyz developed this unity, this desire to be one and be strong in, in that way, in the let's have these communal dinners, and it worked. They, you know, children, Plutarch says, the children learn to be sober and sociable. Sober meaning, you know, uh, serious, not joking all the time. Children learn to be sober and social by coming to these communal dinners, right? And he says, Plutarch says this, they learned how to good-naturedly tease each other. And a strange thing about Plutarch's story about that is he said, as the kids would learn to tease each other, you know, just good-naturedly, that they also learned which kids didn't like to be teased and they would make sure not to tease those kids. If the kids didn't like being teased, the other kids would, you know, know not to tease that kid. Instead of, let's tease him worse. And I like that because they're trying to meet that, that kid where he is. The, the idea, instead of you make these people one, you get them close, you let them know each other, know each other's joys, each other's sadness, mourn with those that mourn, you know, that kind of thing rejoice with each other, then we know what each other is like and it develops a deeper love. As you serve and as you come to know someone, you come to know the things they're struggling with. You come to know ways you can help them and they can help you. You, you get to lift each other, help each other, carry each other's burdens. You know, maybe you're having a a good mental health week, and your friend isn't. That's the kind of stuff you've got to get to know. And so even the kids would be like, no, no, no. Let's not tease him. He doesn't like it. It, it, it. You know, it makes him feel different. We don't tease him. Let's do other things involve him when we play games and stuff, but don't tease him. That's such a good thing, y'all. Such a good thing. Meet people where they are. And maybe that kid learns to, he sees the other kids, how they act to the teasing. And maybe he gets, you know, used to it and he, he participates. And maybe he doesn't. But guess what? When they grow up, because they're growing up together, and this boy and the other boys are out fighting some battle protecting Sparta, they're going to know. They grew up with that kid. They know exactly. You know who's courageous and who isn't. You know who's brave and who isn't. You know who maybe runs off at the mouth and who doesn't. You know who is not really reliable and who is. Can you imagine the power that gives an army? You wonder why the Spartan army was invincible? That's why. Because their soldiers were cousins, brothers, uncles, dads, grandpas. They were neighbors. They were best friends. This unity, strength through unity. I'll tell you a story, and I won't go into the whole thing because it's too much, but I was reading in First Maccabees, you know, it's part of the Apocrypha for most people. I think in the Catholic Bible, it's actually, you know, part of the Bible, but in, you can find it, First Maccabees, there's this story 
about how this guy wrote a letter to the Spartans. Uh, it was about 143 BC or something. And he was so well after Lycurgus. But he was writing a letter to Sparta. And I'm sitting here like, this cannot be real. Like, first of all, Spartans wouldn't, there's no way Spartan, because the Spartans wrote a letter back. And I'm like, no, no, there's no way. And so you looked at, so the study guide of this Bible, this, you know, Oxford Bible that has all the like scholarly stuff. You look down the bottom, it's like, these letters were added by the author, they're fabrications, they're not. And I'm like, I knew that because I knew Sparta. I knew there's no way Spartans would be like, oh, yes, come to Sparta anytime, and we would love to have you, and we'll share our stuff with you, and you'll be just like us. I'm like, ain't no Spartans saying that. And it was because Spartans were the deal like, Sparta, let's all stick together. We're not bringing foreign people in we're just now that's not to say you were they weren't allowed in sparta but that's just to say they recognized that by being strong as a community being unified as a community would increase their strength and increasing their strength meant that they could last longer they could be they could be more prosperous, right? All of that sort of stuff. Do you know they were, this is a story. I don't know why it just popped in my head. I don't think I, I planned on talking about it, but in Sparta, they wanted to make sure that when a man proposed to a woman, like, you know, when he was asking her to marry him, the night before the wedding, the bride was shaved bald. Now, I know some of y'all, you know, right before your wedding, you're getting, you're getting glammed up. You got your glam squad. You're getting it bigger. You're getting it, you're getting a, them eyelashes that you could trip on. All of that. Well, in Sparta... The night before the wedding, the girl's family, her sisters, her cousins, her aunts and all that, and her mom would shave her head bald. Now, why? Because the thought was, this man has to be in love with more than just this girl's beauty. And if we shave her bald, and they would wear just a simple white tunic. No fancy dresses like the, like the Romans or the Athenians. Spartan women, simple white mumu, bald head. And that way, that's in their thought, that's like, that's how we know you really love this girl because she's not glammed up. She's, matter of fact, she looks worse than she normally does because she's bald. That's how committed to this notion of simplicity no you know let's not be ornamented up you don't know you do not need that dress you say no to the dress because you you're not fixing to get it say no to the dress just put on your white tunic moo moo let's get this bicked up and then see what my man says if he shows up and he's like you know i'd prefer a little more a little more on, on top there but I love you and all of that, right? Now, 
not everyone was a fan of the simplicity. I'm not going to sit here and lie to you and say, and the Spartans loved it and everybody... No. Some of the Spartans were like, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't like eating dinner with everybody else. Because when I'm at home with eating my dinner, I can be like in front of the TV. Not really. They didn't have TV. But I can be in my, my PJs, my sweatpants. I can maybe lie down on one of my couches my fancy couch they knew that behind closed doors they could be like having fancy meals and eating with the you know the really expensive paper plates right they're like real good like with the divisions and that would kind of like all you thought that might be like durable you know they could they just thought these communal dinners you go out there and they're expecting everybody to you know, dress casual and sit up and eat and talk. And no, we want to sit in our house, dress in our pajamas, and we don't want to hang out with them. And so now this is a crazy story. So it goes on, and they're like, okay, he's insisting on. Hold on, I need a beverage. Whenever I have a beverage, what do you do? You have a beverage. Today's beverage brought to you by the good folks at Dunder Mifflin. Mm. All right. So, a lot of these people that did not appreciate aspects of Lycurgus's constitution that required simplifying their life, getting rid of luxury and ease and leisure, make, you know, de-emphasizing those things. A lot of these people got together and they're like, okay, let's beat him up. I'm not kidding with you. Let's sneak up on him when he's at the marketplace and let's put a beat down on him. I'm not joking. So these people got together and they're like, all right, all the, the luxury people, the people that, you know, these are the, hey, I want to eat dinner in my PJs people. So they start throwing rocks and stuff at him. They see him, they're like, I got eyes on my curvis. And they're like, so they start throwing rocks and stuff at like, I'm not kidding you. They're throwing rocks. They they get up close. They start punching him or trying to punch. Take their sticks and they're like, "Err, hit him with the stick." Well, one kid named Alcander, Alcander, not Alexander, Alcander. That's his mama's fault. Don't blame him. Alcander throws a punch apparently and lands right in Lycurgus's eye, blinding him. It says knocking out his eye. Now, I don't know if it really knocked out his eye, but that's, Plutarch says it knocked out his eye. I don't, Polybius says that it just temporarily blinded him. I don't know who to believe, but he knocks out. And so, like, Kirk is all bleeding his eyes, like, I'm blind. And he says to the people loud enough, he's like, look at this. Look what you're doing. Look, I, you don't like me? Cool. Let's talk about not liking my stuff, but. My man here, my this little kid, he's like he's a teenager. Just blinded my eye. And so they're all like, hey, hey, hey. Alright, let's take it down. Let's all calm down. Okay? Let's everybody relax a little bit. And they're like, Yeah, that was that was over the line. We went over the line with that one. That was too much. Throwing tridents at you. We we shouldn't have. Shouldn't have shot that nuclear bomb. That was wrong to try to nuke you. That was wrong. 
that, that, you know, and then Alcander, you come on, man, you know you got that good right hook. My man's old. That that was it was too much. It was too much, and we admit that. You know that it escalated quickly, and we're wrong. So they say to uh, Alcander, "Look, man, that was wrong to do. You, you blinded my. It was too much." Now they weren't thinking that. What if one of them rocks hit him in the eye? No, they were just like Alcander. So they say to Alcander, they're like, "All right, you. We're gonna. They they take hold of him." And they say, okay, like Kyrgyz, he did injury to you. We, the people, recognize that. We're giving him to you to carry out whatever punishment because that's the way law enforcement was done back when the men were men and the women were fine. Fine. That's the way it was done. It wasn't like bleep, 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 bloop, bleep, bloop, bleep, let me call a stranger. It was like, no, you did not. Well, we're going to, we do not like that as a community. We're going to get the guy who did it. And if you are guilty of doing it, which in this case he admitted it, then the people you hurt, they, they will get re- recompensed. Not pay the state a fine. Well, how did I hurt the state? Right? That's how it done. When the men were men and the women were fine. That's how law enforcement was done. So they give him to like Kyrgyz. Like Kyrgyz like, all right. So basically like, like Kyrgyz takes him home and he makes him do all his chores. Makes Alcander do all his chores. Okay. That basically, right. Just whatever, because that was his punishment. Whatever like Kyrgyz tells him to do, Alcander had to do it. Now he, and, and the kid to his credit, he was from a noble family, and any time Lycurgus is like, I need you to clean the bathrooms today, he would go clean the bathrooms without saying a word, without like, come on, man, I'm, you know, I'm somebody. You know what I'm saying? Many people know me. He, no, he would be like, oh, he'd just say, yes, sir, and he would go clean the bathroom. Or, I don't know, what's another, like, really awful thing? Like, the gutters, like, hey, man, my gutters, gotta, gotta clean those out. And Alcander would just do it and never said a word. After a while, and this is how Plutarch says it, listen to this. Alcander came to know the gentleness of the man, meaning Lycurgus, the calmness of his spirit, the simplicity of his habits, and his unmatched work ethic. He thus became a devoted follower of Lycurgus and used to tell his family and friends that Lycurgus was not harsh nor self-willed as they had supposed, but he was the mildest and gentlest of all the Spartans. Such then was the chastisement of this young man and the penalty laid upon him, and it caused him to become, instead of wild and impetuous, a polite and considerate man. Now, This is where Uncle Joey asks you to apply this to yourself. Think, let us have a think together. Let's roll it round in the old, you know, noodle. Just for a minute, let's have a bit of a think. What would have happened if, when Alcander goes to Lycurgus' house, if Lycurgus 
hadn't been in private the man he pretended to be in public? What if he had not forgiven Alcander? What would be the result? The result would be not only would Alcander not have changed his life, but he would have been angrier at Lycurgus. He probably would have finished his punishment, but he would have been angrier. And instead of being able to tell people, hey, this guy's the real deal Holyfield. He's gentle, simple in his ways, kind, soft-spoken. You know, it's a really great guy. Instead of doing that, Alcander would have been like, he is a jerk. He is the worst. And then all the good that Lycurgus could have done, even being a bad person, the good he could have done, much of it wouldn't have been done. Because that word would have gotten round. Right? And they would have known. Yeah, don't preach simplicity to me when X, Y, Z at your house. So it's this, what a lesson for us. Being genuine. Being authentic. Being who you are at home and in public, the same person. What a lesson, right? And a lesson even from Alcander's side. You say, when I, you know, when someone is like that, I want to tell other people, man, this, I really got to know this guy, and he is really a great guy. He, you know, you can imagine saying it about a boss, even a politician. If you know him personally, you're like, hey, I know he's a really great guy, but what's the deal? The deal is when we have so many so many um experiences where people in public pretend to be something and we find out in their private life that they're not that it sort of ruins their ability to do even good things that they want to do right so a lesson from alcander and lycurgus don't punch old people in the eye i mean that's what it comes down to right no it comes down to be authentic be genuine don't 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 pretend to be something you're not. Be who you are. And if you if you're not what you want to be, do those things to improve your constitution. Be become that person that you pretend to be, right? Simple as that, right? Be genuine. And if you're like, but my genuine self is horrible, then change it. Change it. You can do that. Do like Lycurgus, those steps that we mentioned, do that. All right. And Lycurgus, when it came to education, he said, education is the best lawgiver. Now, think about that. That can be good or bad. Because if the lessons are designed to teach the people, teach the children to be virtuous and independent and to think and to be kind and, and all of that, that's cool. That's how they'll grow up being. But if school, the lessons and the atmosphere is designed to make kids shut up when they're trying to talk or sit down and, you know, just if it's turning these kids into, it's teaching them to be obedient because I say so and if it's teaching them to be good little 
workers, that's the mentality they'll have all their life. So yes, education is the best lawgiver if it's truly education. Go watch that other episode, the education or seduction. Watch that one. So yes, like Kirkus is right, education is the best lawgiver. You cannot be ignorant and free, right? The, knowledge will forever govern ignorance, right? You have to be you have to be educated to be free. You have to be. I don't mean degrees. I don't mean you don't have to have a piece of paper from college. You don't have to go to college, but you have to be educated. You have to take yourself up that mountain, right? Education is the best lawgiver. So pretty soon, the Spartans actually came to regard luxury and leisure and ease as silliness and not something to be desired. They were insensibly softened because they were surrounded by images, sounds, examples of virtue and simplicity. You can't expect to be I mean look you can't expect to be virtuous and wise and simple if you watch videos or shows or read books or listen to songs that promote wealth and luxury and partying and immorality you're not going to be the first person on planet earth to take in nothing but wickedness and silliness and praise of luxury and be above it you're not going to be that one you too are going to be insensibly softened but here's the deal you get to choose what goes in your eye what goes in your ear what you spend your time doing you get to choose you get to choose your marinade you get to choose your own marinade you know the steak never says to me hey joey uh, can you put a little? No, it never gets to choose. I'm like, plop, put it in the fridge, marinate. Never. You are the best kind of steak because you're a steak with a mind. I mean, the steak had a mind before we chopped it up. But you know what I'm talking about. You have agency. You have this freedom to say, I want to surround. I want things that go in my eyes, in my ears. I want to surround myself with stuff that lifts me, makes me a better person. Enlighten them and you elevate them. Right? Virtuous people will never accept a tyrant. Look around. All right? Virtuous people would never accept being governed by wicked people. It wouldn't happen. So we need to do, we need to learn this lesson. The Spartans came to regard luxury as silliness. All that leisure and ease, just lying around, this wasting time is, is, is ridiculous, right? And they became what we know as Spartans. And he, th listen to what Plutarch says. So the luxury, right, this love of luxury, deprived little by little of that which fed and fomented it, wasted to nothing, and died away on its own. Guys, did you hear he said? Deprived little by little of that which fed it, it just died. That's how we can overcome the same thing. Any vice that we have, right? Any vice, any... Um, Anything we want to overcome, 
right? If you want to spend less time watching the videos that you know you shouldn't watch, spend less time just wasting time, spend less time listening to songs that promote a life that you don't, that you know isn't good. All of that kind of stuff, guys. Little by little, if you just today, because that's what he says, right? Little by little, that love of luxury was denied the things that fed it. So if you're like spending five hours scrolling TikTok, do something that fails to feed that. So go, go outside, go somewhere, don't take your phone, do something. You know, read, just do something. Just basically starve that vice of yours. Starve that bad habit. Starve that desire for things that aren't, aren't the best, right? You just, if you deprive yourself of whatever it is that feeds that desire for evil, for wickedness, for immorality, for a love of stacking up gold coins higher than your neighbor's gold coins, if you can do that little by little, those things will just naturally go away. Little by little, deprive that desire of that which feeds it like anything else, right? Deprive it. So you absolutely, you get to control not only what you marinate in, you get, control, you get to control how long, right? All of those things. And so just, you have to be honest and sincere and say, what do I marinate in? What do I surround myself with? What do I listen to? What do I watch? Just be honest and then say, and maybe you want to keep yourself, that's fine too. But if you want to live and have the fruits of a more virtuous, um, a wiser, a more educated, a kinder life, you got to surround yourself with things that promote that. And you, you're not going to be the guy that surrounds yourself with silliness, but somehow when serious things need done, people are going to call on you. That's not how it works right? That's not how it works. So what a lesson we get about just deprive. Now, um, basically from Polybius and Plutarch, we get this thing that too much luxury leads to laziness, which leads to sickness of mind and body. Too much luxury leads to laziness which leads to sickness of mind and body. And they say there, is not, there was nothing so small and trivial in Sparta which did not somehow praise virtue and scorn vice. They made sure they, first of all, simplify everything. It's a lot easier to make sure you're surrounded by things that promote virtue and uh, what do you say, scorn vice, if you simplify. Because the more things you have around you, the more likely something in, that, in those many things is going to draw your attention, is going to promote something other than virtue, is going to create desires in you that you don't really want, but you're surrounded. So the first step, simplify that, right? And the second step is, 
whatever's left, make sure when you look around, the things you have, the things that surround you, promote virtue and scorn vice. Simple as that. Like Kyrgyz, filled, this is filled Sparta all through with proofs and examples of good conduct with the constant sight of which from their youth up the people could hardly have failed to be gradually formed and advanced in virtue. Just fill yourself, fill your life, fill your house with things that from, you know, youth up, but obviously some of us are not youth, but you can still fill your life, fill your eyes, fill your ears, fill your house with things that are examples of good conduct and virtue and wisdom and promote all those things. You can do that. And if you're a parent, what's in your child's or what does he look at when he looks around his room? What's he surrounded by, right? You can make it where your child is gradually formed and advanced in virtue. But we don't have to be a child to do that. We can do that right now ourselves. All right. Um, now, what I'm going to do, I'm going to take a break here. I'm going to come back with part two. Now, the reason I do that is because I want you to have a little bit of a breather. And I'm going to come right back and we're going to talk just the very end of Lycurgus, and then I'm going to tell you some stories from Sparta that were written down by Plutarch. He had a whole, like, book, literally, of kooky things that the Spartans did, and I'm going to share some of them with you. Some of them are funny. Some of them are like, hmm, yes. Anyway, I'll be back with part two in just a second. Please don't go anywhere. Please stay tuned. You're going to want to hear the end of this plus all these crazy Spartan stories. See you in a minute, you guys. All right, guys, back with part two. So Lycurgus, he filled Sparta with examples of good conduct and virtue and wisdom, and gradually the people formed and advanced in virtue. We can do this in our homes. If we really believe, look, this is as simple as this. Listen, just listen. If we really believe that, you know, our founding fathers were wise and good men. That the people they studied, that taught them to be wise and good, they read this and they're like, okay, we need to do this. There is no liberty. I have a whole class that I teach for little kids, virtue and liberty. There is no liberty without virtue. If we really believe that, if that's really something we believe, so other than, you know, if like Al Kander came over to our house and's like, and people, you know, he, he left and people were like, what's he really like at home? Yeah, he is a tyrant. This man, oh my goodness. Can you, right? So, now he wouldn't see that. I'm not a tyrant. I'm an oligarch. No, I'm not an oligarch. I'm a dictator. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm a benevolent mass nope i'm not any of the i'm just joey just joey i'm a nice guy i'm a good guy i'm not not tired but my point is if we really believe 
that there is no liberty without virtue, and that as virtue increases, our liberty will increase, or our our tolerance of tyranny will decrease as our liberty in as our virtue increases, then we got to do this, man. We got to do this together. We got to build homes that surround our kids and ourselves with virtue. Just looking at things we shouldn't got to stop. Listening to songs that promote this lifestyle. You think, oh, it doesn't affect me. Come on, man. Every wise person that's ever observed mankind says that whatever you surround yourself with, you insensibly become more like that. Yes, it, it, it's going to affect you. It is. It's going to affect you. So what do you Good things. Surround yourself, your home, your life. Make it one of those things. Be, be more Spartan, right? If we could just, I mean, anyway. Now, a thing about Lycurgus that kind of reinforced this notion of unity and virtue and all of this is he in the Constitution, they weren't allowed to travel outside of Sparta without permission. Now, I know some of you are like, that does not sound free to me. And you're right, right? But the idea was, according to Lycurgus, that if you go, well, I'll just read it from Plutarch. How about that? He said, with strange people, strange words will be admitted. These novelties will produce novelties in thought and these and new feelings. And this discordant character will destroy the harmony of Sparta. So, now believe it or not, Thomas Jefferson in his notes on the state of Virginia said the same thing. That whomever you, if you go stay in a place where they don't share your values, you're going to not only contract their physical diseases, but their moral diseases as well. And this is, and he of course got that from Lycurgus, who said, look, if you go staying around traveling to foreign places, you're going to become convinced, maybe, that, oh, I like the way they do this over here instead of how we do it in Sparta. You'll come back, and that'll spread. And then we lose our strength because we lose our unity. Because that's how it's going to happen. Somebody says something, somebody believes that thing, some other people believe, and it grows and grows and grows until there's parties, a well, I want a little more luxury. Well, I want a lot. Well, if you can have a little, I want a lot. Well, we shouldn't have any. Well, I think luxury should be punished, and we just get parties. That's what Lycurgus said. We will divide into faction. It will ruin, it will destroy the harmony of Sparta. So you had to get permission to travel outside of Sparta because he's like, you're going to go, you're going to catch their disease, their physical diseases, bring those back to us. And you're going to catch their moral diseases and bring those back to us. And next thing you know, it's going to be, oh, look, I have more than my neighbor. Instead of, oh, my neighbor's you know, crop wasn't so good this year. Let me give him some of mine. It'll be like, ha ha, I have more than you do. Like it is today. Right? Like it is today. Now, I obviously don't think that... 
we should not visit other places. I was raised overseas. But I can also tell you that that did inform, that did make me different than my cousins that never left home. Right? And I am jealous of them. I am jealous of how, you know, they grew up in many ways. And they're jealous of me. But the point is, I don't think that we need to not visit places. And I don't think it should be part of the law. Like, you cannot, you must get permission to go to whatever. But I do believe that we can say what he said of Sparta. We can say that of our, our homes. We can, we can say... We don't want to let certain influences in our home. We can say that. We can say, I personally don't want certain influences in my life. I'm not going to let, I'm not going to hang around certain people. I'm not going to go certain places. It doesn't say whether those places are good or bad. It says whether those places are good or bad for me right that's the deal it's not whether they're good or bad it's whether they're good or bad for me and so although we don't outlaw travel outside of Sparta maybe we think about that we think about who are we letting visit our home you know are we paying $20 a month to have not so virtuous images pumped through a wire into our house. Again, does that make that wrong? No, it makes it wrong for someone who wants to surround themselves with virtue. You know, the leaders are a very, very, very small, infinitesimal percentage of the whole population. And it's typically the guys that were willing to do the very hard things that discouraged others. It's like we talked about, right? Most people get, they start climbing that mountain and they get seduced. They're like, come on, you've done enough. Let's just have a calm life, have a normal life. What's wrong with being normal? Well, nothing. But if you want to be a leader, you got to be something different. And so we start, we be more Spartan in that way. Not don't go visit other places, but don't go to places where you're going to be surrounded with sights and sounds and language and, and uh, behavior that really don't uh, improve you, make you wiser and more virtuous. You know what I'm saying? And don't invite those things into your home. And it's weird when you think about it. You, know, you pay $20 a month, 90% of the stuff I couldn't watch. Because it's, it's just not, doesn't promote the right uh, characteristics. It doesn't promote virtue. So anyway, we can do that. We can have our personal, you know, what do you call it? I mean, it's like, it's kind of like how parents, you know, they want their kids to be, to love freedom and to be good thinkers, you know, and all of this. But they send their kids to school for eight or nine hours a day, five days a week where those things are discouraged. It's like you send your kid to school in Rome and you wonder why he comes home praising Caesar. You shouldn't wonder at that, right? So anyway, 
Lycurgus really believed that unity and virtue would make a city happy, would make, as he says, the Spartans became, because of Lycurgus's innovations, because of his changes to the Constitution, because of the Constitution that he wrote and the way that it, the society that it created, the Spartans became, of all people, the most free-minded, self-dependent, temperate people. Okay? Everybody thinks of them being so militaristic. Well, yes, the, the men were required to be soldiers, but they weren't, that wasn't their occupation. They couldn't help it that they got dragged into a lot of wars, and they weren't just going to sit there and let themselves be destroyed. But, to, and, and yes, the young men did go to be trained have you, so that they could be good soldiers for Sparta if the time came. Have you not read the Second Amendment? A well-regulated militia is uh, necessary to keep the state free? Let's, you know, let's not gloss over the, you know, that part. So yes, the Spartans maintained a well-regulated militia and boys were required to do it. That wasn't your job. You weren't a soldier. You were a farmer or a gold or not goldsmith, a blacksmith or whatever. You were whatever you were, but in times of trouble, yes, the young men. But you can't just say, oh, guess what? You know, get off your tractor and go here. Here's your rifle. Go fight a war. No, you have to know, well, who's, who do I take orders from? You know, how do we, what formation do, well-regulated. So, yeah, people say the Spartans were militaristic. They but they didn't go looking for a fight. They were temperate of all people. Don't you wish that they could say that about the United States? That those people are the most free-minded, self-dependent, and temperate people in the world. Can you imagine? So, anyway. The Spartans became famous for being virtuous and valiant, strong and sober. I don't know. Lycurgus, much respect, sir, for doing that. We even, you know, we even get, it's, uh, he, he was so valiant, virtuous, strong, sober. I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with any, I think there's good in all of that. I think all the lesson that so far that we've had about Sparta, I, I like Sparta. They didn't go in search of war, but if you came to them, it's that story like um, Philip, right, of Macedon, Alexander the Great's dad, you know, was try, sent this letter because Sparta didn't want to join the little the little club, right? They, they were like, no, no, no. So Sparta sent, uh, or Philip sent Sparta a note. says, okay, fine. You don't want to join our club with me as the, as the president of the club. Then if I come down there, I, if I come down there, I will destroy you and completely decimate you. And if I come down there, I'll ruin your land. And the so you have two kings in Sparta under Lycurgus's constitution. The kings wrote a letter back to Philip, and it said one word, if. Yet, if you come down and beat us, you might do that stuff. But that's a big, that's a, those two letters, that's a big deal. If, if you come and beat us, you can do that. Good luck with all that. And it wasn't cocky. It was because they trained for that. Everything in their society built soldiers who were not only physically fit, but morally fit. 
They had surrounded themselves with virtues, simplified their life. They didn't need much to make them happy, so going and conquering stuff wouldn't have done anything for them. They became independent, virtuous, and temperate. Just calm. We know who we are, and we're calm. And we simplify everything. We keep things straight. That's how we do. And we actually, I don't know if you guys know, because sometimes when I say I'm like, I think everybody knows this. Then people are like, I never heard that before. We have two English words that come to us because of the Spartan society created by Lycurgus' constitution. First is Spartan with a small s. I, in my life, have always been accused of being Spartan. It means unadorned, undecorated, plain. People would come over to my house and they'd be like, you, f you fancy white walls, do you? And I'm like, I mean, I don't, yeah, I guess so. How come you don't have stuff on your wall? Well, I don't really like it. Okay, maybe maybe a picture? Uh, sure, throw one up, I don't care, right? My whole life, Spartan. I just want, just, I'm not into the decoration and the thing. You're looking behind me, you're like, mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, I have a, I want to make things comely and nice and attractive and stuff. I mean, you know, but yes, in my life I've been accused of being Spartan. Second is laconic. Now, Lysidemon was their word for Sparta, right? And so laconic means using a few words, being very, uh, yeah, just being a man of few words. You're laconic. If you say things in just a few words instead of rambling on, you're laconic. I have not been accused of being laconic, however. That's the whole, you know, ask me what time it is and I tell you how a watch works. I'm not laconic. I am by nature Spartan, not laconic, but Lysidemon is how they pronounced that. That's what they called their own city, by the way, Lysidemon. Um, but we call it Sparta. That's why if you see, like, movies about Sparta, like 300 and everything, you see the like the, what would I call it, like an upside-down V. It's their lambda. It's their L for Lysidemon. That's what, now you see, you can go to your next cocktail party. You guys seen that movie 300? Yeah. What's the deal with that upside-down V on their shields? Do you know what that stands for? People are like, you know what, I don't even know. Like, victory? No, because it's upside-down, dude. Ooh, yeah, I don't know. Like, A, like, A, we're going to beat you? No. No, it's actually the Greek letter lambda which is their L, because their own name for their country was Lysidemon. And they're like, dang, dude, how'd you get so smart? And you're going to be like, Joey. Joey hooked me up with the knowledge. Can Joey hook up, up with the knowledge? Yeah, here, let me just dial it up on the, on the YouTubes, dial it up. And then you'll have a group of you, you'll start going to like trivia, like pub quiz night and winning money. They'll be like, what was the letter on the Spartan shield? And you'll be like, Lambda. And you'll win the, like, $50 in Buffalo Wing Bucks. Maybe you, maybe you text Joey and say, Thanks for the knowledge, Joey. Would you like to come eat some hot wings? I'll be like, Yup. Because would you like to eat some hot wings? It's never going to be no. So just mark that in your book. All right. I think we painted a pretty good picture of how Sparta is.
gone on now for over an hour. I think you know, you now know who Lycurgus is. You know what Lycurgus was asked to do. You know what he did and how he did it. Unity and virtue. Virtue and unity. Strength through unity. Strength through virtue. Surround them with virtue. Be simple. Too much luxury equals laziness equals sick of body and mind. Right? Education is the best lawgiver. Surround yourself with images that promote virtue. Right? And you will become a more virtuous person. All of that. Have the Senate sit in a plain box building with no windows and stone benches. Right? Just simplify. Be virtuous. Hang out with people that uplift you. Right? You can overcome anything. Be genuine. Be who you are in private, the same in public. Be that genuine guy. Look for the virtuous and wise in our political office holders. All of that stuff, right? All right. Now I'm going to share with you, as promised, now is the time in the show. Now is the part of the show where we're going to discuss some of these Spartan sayings and stories that were written down by Plutarch. Now, some of them are really inspiring. Some of them are like, oh, snap, he didn't say that. Whatever. They're a little bit saying, let's do this. All right. So Herodotus reports. Now, Herodotus, we've talked about him. Herodotus, talking about the war with the Persians, he's describing the Battle of Thermopylae. Yes, that battle in three, the movie 300, right? He is describing that battle. Herodotus describes the battle. And there was Deinicus, one of the Spartans, you know, uh, warriors was named Deinicus. And the spy, Spartan spy, comes down and says, hey, Deinicus. There are so many Persians over there, archers, that when they shoot their arrows, it's going to blot out the sun. And Deinicus says, ah, oh, good, then we get to fight in the shade. Okay, I, I want to comment on all this, but you're like, Joey, we don't got five hours for your podcast, son. Calm down. But can you imagine you're sitting there and you're like, yeah, go see how many Persian warriors there are and come back and report to me. Do, 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 do. He goes over there, he's like, comes back, he's like, mm, they got a lot. Like how many? Like seriously, not exaggerating, Deinicus? First of all, what, what happened? Why Deinicus? It's my mom. Don't blame me. Okay, sorry, Deinicus. <clears throat> Deinicus, oh, you don't like teasing? Then I shouldn't tease you because I'm a Spartan and we don't do that. Deinicus, there's so many Persians that when they shoot their arrows, literally... Not metaphorically, literally, they'll blot out the sun. And Deinicus is like, oh, thank heaven. And you're like, why? Because that means we get to have the battle in the shade because it is so hot today. Whew. One time, there was a visitor, a Sybarite. Now, these people, these Sybarites were known for their love of luxury. If it was luxurious, the Sybarites wanted it. They wanted all the luxury. So you can imagine, why did I like suddenly go like JFK? The Sybarites, ask not what your luxury can do for you. The Sybarites love luxury. So one day a Sybarite is visiting Sparta and it's the communal supper time. And he sits there, the Sybarite, and he's looking around and 
he says to a guy sitting next to him, now I know why you Spartans don't fear death. Because it has to be better than this. Oh, Sybarite, snap. When Gorgos, the wife of Leonidas, yes, the Leonidas that fought in Thermopylae, there was a foreign lady was visiting Sparta, and she asked the queen, she's like, aren't Spartan women jealous that you don't get to be kings? Don't Doesn't that make you upset a little bit that there's Spartan kings and the women don't get to be kings? And, she, and Leonidas' wife responded saying, Why would I want to be just a king when now I am the creator of kings? You're asking me to take a step down. The hand that rocks the cradle rules the world, sweetheart. Why would I just want to be king when right now I create kings. Come on now. Now, the Spartans had a famous saying, and it's one of my favorite sayings, and I literally, not literally, I was about to say literally talk about it all the time. I literally talk about it very often. They had a saying which was, when the soldiers, when the sons and fathers were about to leave for battle, the moms slash wife would say, come back with your shield or on it. Do you understand? In other words, you do not come home carrying your shield having lost the battle. You come home with your shield or you come home on it. You win or you die trying. Right? Someone asked one time, why is it, why is the hell, you know, to return without a shield you know, is dishonorable. But your helmet, no one says anything about the helmet. Why is the shield so special, but y'all's helmet you don't really care much about? And this Spartan king explained, a helmet we put on for our own protection, but the shield, with a shield, we protect ourselves and someone else because they would hold it in a wall. So it would protect half of you and half the next guy. Our helmet just protects the individual. Our shield protects all of us. Come home with your shield or on it, y'all. Every day. Every day, come home with your shield or on it. Win or die trying. Right? Not don't literally die today because you tried, you know. But you get what I'm saying. Come home with your shield or on it. Let that be your mantra. Today, I'm coming home with my shield because I'm going to win whatever battle you have to fight. All right. Come home with your shield on. It's one of my favorites. All right. This is a story I like. Cicero tells this story besides Plutarch. Cicero tells this story too. There was a, the Olympic Games. You know how the Olympics started, you know, well over 2,000 years ago. So the Olympic Games are going on, and there was this old man, and you've seen what those old stadiums look like in ancient Greece, right? So there's an old man. He's walking around trying to find a seat. The seats are full. You know what I'm saying? It was packed. The, the stadium was packed. He can't find a seat. So pretty soon he gets to the section where the Spartans are seated. And Spartans who were younger, some who were, you know, the, all the Spartan kids, the Spartan 
adults, they get up and offer this young man or this old man their seat. Right? You're just sitting there. You're a healthy young man. This old man comes walking by, gets to the Spartan section. All the Spartan young men are like, you can have my seat, sir. You can sit here, sir. And when, he, when they do that, everyone notices, I guess it was on Jumbotron, and they start applauding what the Spartan, oh, that's so good. You guys did so good. And you know what the old man, he sighs and he says, all the Greeks are taught what is right, but only the Spartans do it. You're clapping because they did the right thing. Why didn't you do the right thing? All the Greeks are taught what is right, but only the Spartans do it. It's a good story. Someone, Agisicles, they were like, he was known for being fond of reading and, and knowledge and philosophy and everything. And there was this guy, uh, Philophanes, and they said, why don't you... He's like super famous and he came here and wanted to, you know, teach you some of his particular philosophy. Why don't you, why did you say no? And he says, I don't want a man to be my teacher who I would also not want as a father. Think about that. I don't want someone being my teacher who I wouldn't want as a father. I want to be to look up, respect, honor my teachers the same way I would. I don't want a man to be my teacher who I wouldn't want to be my father. When someone asked Agisicles, they're like, how many Spartans are there? Because, you know, they were like insular. They didn't, you know, advertise their business. It's like, how many Spartans are there? He said, um, enough to keep bad men away from Sparta. And you think about yourself. How, how many things around you? Are there enough? Are there enough? You know, good books, good videos, good everything, to keep the bad men out of your Sparta, your home, your mind. How many? How many people in Sparta? How many you got over there? Enough to keep bad men out. That's I love that story. So. There was a guy, Aegis. Now, he was the, one of the last kings of Sparta. He was arrested, condemned by the Senate, the Ephors, the Senate, no trial. Condemned, sentenced to death. They're leading him up to the scaffold to kill him. And he can see some people crying and upset that they're doing this to him. And he said, stop your weeping for me. I'm being put to death in defiance of law and justice. Thus, thus, I am much better off eternally than those who are taking my life. Don't worry about me. Just like we had Sydney, right? Feel my pulse. I'm fine. I'm going to be fine. I'm fixing to meet God. I'm good. I'm dying for liberty. I'm good. And this guy, Aegis, one of the last kings of Sparta, just condemned because he tried to enforce the old ways, and by now they had lost their way because of being at war all the time. And these soldiers were like, whoa, look at what you can get with money. Why don't we have money at home? You mean I can be a soldier all the time and get paid for it? Anyway, 
they're what made them so wonderful and strong and protected them is what ended up killing them their military strength and it just sapped their virtue but so at the end one of these kings ages who was trying to pull the place back they condemned him and sentenced him to be executed he's like don't cry for me i'm being executed in defiance of the law and justice I'm so much better off than the people who are carrying me up the scaffold. Oh, Brasidas. Brasidas, king, catches a, goes to get, put his hand in a bowl of figs. I want a fig. And he puts his hand in and a mouse bites him. And he's like, yow. And people are like, what happened? He's like, a mouse bit me when I reached in for those figs. And he says, there's a lesson to be learned here. There is nothing so small that it does not try to save its own life if it has the courage to defend itself against those who would lay hands on it. I'm so much bigger than this mouse, but guess what? That mouse was determined to live, and he attacked me. That's the courage. That There's nothing so small that if it really values its life, it won't defend itself against anyone who lays hands on it. You think about that. Um, there was a Spartan king, and he was giving, he was, you know, doing the rituals that they would do, the religious. The Spartans were very religious. They showed up late to the Battle of Marathon. You had a guy, the runner, that went and said, Hey, the Persians are coming. We need y'all's help over in Athens. And the Spartans were like, Can't do it this month, man. We're having a, it's a, a whole month of a religious thing. We can't go to war during this month. And they're like, seriously? You got to go to church so you can't come help us? Sorry, that's, that's our deal, man. We're very religious people. They showed up late to the Battle of Marathon because that's how true they were to their religious principles. So here you got the guy. He's, he's offering the king. He's offering, you know, the, 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 the offerings that they would offer to the gods to give them success. And he saw that there were in the omens, he saw that the, that Sparta would win, but he would die. And so he told this to one of the commanders. The commander's like, so what, did the, what, what omen did you get, right? And he's like, well, we're going to win, but I'm going to die. And he's like, yikes, then let's not fight. And the king says, Sparta's fate rests not with one man. If I'm killed, my country will not be impaired in any way. But if I yield to our enemy... It will be destroyed. Sparta is not destroyed if I'm killed. If it says Sparta wins but I, I die, let's do this. Because if we do not fight, then we, there's a chance that we're destroyed. And if I believe the message is that we win but I die, that's worth it. Let's do that, right? The perpetuation of Sparta and what it is, our community, the ability we have to raise our kids and be strong and be free and be happy. If I have to die to make sure that happens, let's do this, right? Sparta doesn't depend on one man. When King Leo was asked what kind of a city one could live in and always be safe, he said, where the inhabitants possess neither too much nor too little, and where the right shall be strong, 
and the wrong shall be weak. Where the right is strong and the wrong are weak, and where the people don't have too much or too little, you'll always be safe there. They asked Leo, how did you become, he was famous for being such a good judge of character. And they're like, how'd you become such a good judge of character? And he says, if I have two, so he was a farmer, right? It wasn't just a king. You had to have, you know, you had to feed your family. You didn't get fed because you were a king. You know, oh, king, you know. So he's like, when I have two oxen in the field, the ox can't talk to me, but I can tell which is lazy and which is a good worker. I can observe that without them saying a word. They don't have to say a word. I can tell which one is going to be lazy and which one's going to be a good worker. Attitude, man. Attitude. Basically saying, because I just look at the way he interacts with people. What's his attitude? That's how I can tell. Nicander, they said, hey, Nicander, some people were talking bad about you, some of those other Greeks. And he's like, well, good. Then they're going to pay the penalty for speaking ill of the good. What does it hurt me? He's like, it doesn't hurt me. The R guys are speaking, saying bad things about you. Okay, so they're doing wrong. What, what does that have to do with me? You don't care that they're saying bad things about you? Why, why would I care? I'm, I'm a good person. I don't care what they say. Yeah, but they're saying that you're bad. Well, they're hurting themselves. They're not hurting me. Come on. When the philosophers in the academy, so you had oh, this Spartan prince that went to Athens to study at the academy. And he come home and he comes home and people are like, Ooh, what was it like? What was it like? What was the academy? You know, because it's famous, right? Plato's Academy. And he's like, what was it like? It must have been crazy. And he's like, everything they talked about was really profound. And they talked a lot about it. But he says, there's no good in talking about those things unless you put them to use. So you can, you know, hear someone say we need to be more virtuous and wise you can hear someone say that we need to be what education really is you can hear someone say read out of the best books you can hear some and that's fine and you can sit and talk about it for hours but if you don't do it if you don't do it what good is it right it's fine to talk about all those nice things but if you don't do it when some people were amazed at the costliness they they defeated these barbarians and these Spartan soldiers were like, oh my goodness, look at their, look at the, these clothes. Like they were just shocked by how much these people would have spent on clothes. And the Spartan general said, and this is so good, it would have been better for them to be themselves men of worth than to possess things of worth they would still be here if instead of possessing things of worth they would have focused on making themselves men of worth when someone inquired him how he could how the spartans were able to conquer the thracians he's like we just make the best men our generals simple as that uh one time there was this guy, the king was, the kings were around him. There was this guy, he kept making jokes. He was just jokey, jokey, jokey all the time. All the time, just being, you know, he's that guy. 
Everything's funny. Everything's a joke. Everything's silly. And the king said to him, you better be on guard, my friend, against joking all the time, or you yourself will become a joke, just as like people who wrestle all the time become wrestlers. Don't become a joke. Don't. Yeah, there's time for joking. Obviously, I love to joke. We joke in this podcast, but you know, there's a time, right? Don't don't joke so much that you become a joke, right? Right. Um, oh, there's the guy that when Lycurgus gave him the new constitution, there was a guy who complained. He's like, Lycurgus, you had this chance to give us a new government. You could have made Sparta a democracy. But you didn't. You gave us this kooky republic thing. You could have made Sparta a democracy. Why didn't you do it? And Lycurgus famously said to him, Go establish a democracy in your house and let me know if you still think it's the best form of government. If you think democracy is such a good form of government... I dare you to go practice it at home first and then come tell me how it works out for you. Not so good. When they... Oh, I'm just... So, the Spartan generals... So, okay. The Spartans sent... The Spartans mistreated the Persian ambassadors. And they felt bad about that. They're like, we shouldn't have done that. I think you see it in 300. I haven't seen 300 in a million years. But I think that happened. So Sparta sent a couple of guys to Persia, to Xerxes, and says, look, we shouldn't have done that. We shouldn't have, um, yeah, we shouldn't have done what we did. Sorry. Shouldn't have, shouldn't have mistreated your guys. That was not very polite of us. We should have just said no and kicked them out. But so he, here's a couple of guys, you know, do whatever you want to do with them, do with them because we kind of owe you that. And... They told him all this, and he was filled, the king was filled, Xerxes was filled with such admiration, he let them go free. And, but he said, before you go, I want to ask you a question. It's like, okay. So, understand, them backing up their principles, apologizing and backing up their principles, softened the heart of that king. And the king's like, well, people like you, you can go free, but I want to ask you a question first. He says, how, I want you guys to stay with us. Stay with us. And they said, how could we live here and abandon our country and law and those men on whose behalf we made such a long journey with the promise to die. If you're just letting us go, we're going to go home. That, And then so one of the Persian generals is like, look, I don't think you get it, man. If you stay here, you're going to be one of the king's inner circle. Look around. It's good to be the king. You're going to get a lot of stuff. You're going to be well-treated, well-fed, anything your heart desires. Look around. You're saying you're going back to home to Sparta because, you know, that's your home and the laws and you owe your people, blah, blah, blah. Look around. You stay here. You're not prisoners. You're partying. 
and they said to this Persian general, you seem to us to not know the value of liberty because no man would any good sense would ever exchange liberty for the entire kingdom of Persia. Thank you guys. Have such a good day and try to be a little more Spartan today, yeah? Thanks, guys. Thank <laughs> you.